when Stephanie and I met one another, uh, within three weeks I told her that I was falling in love with her and we didn't need to date so much. <laughs> I knew my pattern, I knew kind of how I am and uh, I'm watching this in Jonathan a little bit. Sorry, buddy, I gotta squirrel you out here. Uh, Jonathan had his wisdom teeth out um, a couple weeks ago, and, and when he was all kind of in that loopy phase, he texted three different girls and asked them to marry him. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, you love it, buddy, you love it. Being a pastor's kid is fun, come on. I mean, that was hilarious. And I was with him. I didn't know he was doing it. I was helping him. I'm like, you did what? <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. It was funny. Anyway, um, Stephanie and I were getting close. And I had been to Romania for three months, and, and uh, we came back. We felt like the Lord was leading us to date. We were headed towards marriage. And uh, suddenly there became a bit of a hiccup in all this. And Stephanie really felt like she needed to go to the Lord to be assured that this is what God's will was. And I already knew. I mean, it was a done deal as far as I was concerned. Are you kidding me? Lord, I know your will for my life and hers, you know. And um, boy, it broke me up. And so for, oh, three, four days, something like that, she went back to Chattanooga. I was stuck in Lynchburg as miserable as a guy ever could possibly be. And in the midst of all that, the Lord put a song on my heart, and I couldn't get it out. You, you know how sometimes you get a song in your mind, and it's like you replace it with another song, or after a period of time, you suddenly have something else. Now, th this one, it was like a broken record, and the Holy Spirit just wouldn't allow this song to get out of my head. And it was, why so downcast, oh, my soul, put your hope in who? God. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. And when I continued to, I mean, this just, I, it was relentless. And I've never forgotten that because it was the way the Holy Spirit came alongside of me in order to help me through a situation that I didn't have a full perspective of. I didn't understand all the, all the details of what she was going through and what she was wrestling with. I didn't know the prayers that she was praying and the Lord orchestrated everything and confirmed that and I'm so thankful that he did because now we can always look back and we know that we didn't push or pull anything in order to manipulate God or manipulate our way. We simply wanted to walk with the Lord and follow him. And so that whole theme of put your hope in God, trust in God, became an absolute essential ingredient within the very beginning stages of our relationship and our marriage to this day. I was driving here from Arizona. We moved here in 010. And uh, we crested the hill coming north on 25, and we looked out over Albuquerque. And on the radio, immediately, the song Amazing Grace came on. Now, I don't get into that kind of, some people get kind of interesting about how they, it's almost superstitious kind of stuff, you know. And so I, but it was such a, an amazing timing moment that I kind of went, wow, okay, and amen. I love Amazing Grace. And so we, we drove in, and Steph had the radio on, and it happened with her as well because she was following in a different car. And so we came in. Well, that Sunday was the first Sunday that I, I spoke at Hoffmantown. And as I left the Drury Inn to come up 
to the church building here, the same song came on. The whole way, you know. When I left Arizona, I read a, a book called The Mantle of Ministry. Somebody had given it to me. It was a quick read. It was an easy read. And there was a moment in that particular book that I'll never forget because we were about to move here and my life was kind of all in a bit of a turmoil. Um, our time in Arizona had been blessed of the Lord in so many ways, but it had been difficult, very difficult in many ways. And so when I read this book and I, I heard what the author was saying about the Apostle Paul, there was a lot of things that were clicking with me in terms of what we were going through personally and just the, the stuff that was happening. And the one thing that Paul said and the one thing that this guy said is, and it resonated with me, and I felt like the Lord made this very clear for me in coming to Hoffmantown. It is that I will know nothing amongst you except Christ and him, what? Crucified, crucified. In other words, learning to die to self, learning to walk by grace, learning about the life of Christ, learning about the heart of the Lord as he works within us to do through us what he never expects us to be able to do in and of our own selves. We need to learn to yield to him and say yes to him and, and just simply acknowledge that he is sufficient, that he is adequate in spite of our inadequacy. And Paul tells the Corinthian believers, I fear for you lest Satan has deceived you from the what? Simplicity which is in Christ Jesus. God is not the author of chaos. God is not the author of confusion. When we get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and we focus on the Lord and we recognize that he's absolutely in charge, that he's the king, that he is the Lord, that he's sovereign, that he is working all things together for good, for his glory, then it, then it allows us to, to rest in the fact that we may not understand everything. We may not understand all the details. We may not understand all the story. But our hope is anchored in Christ. Amen? I want to take just a little bit of a, a different moment this morning. I want to talk through 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. And the Lord put this on my heart. For those of you who were there Wednesday night, I, I shared this and had some comments on it. I started praying about it, thinking about it. I thought, you know, I feel like the Lord wants to remind me of this, wants to remind us of this. Throughout our country right now, we're, we're seeing all kinds of shifts we're seeing all kinds of interesting moments take place. Right? Technology has come in. We're looking at all kinds of different factors in terms of Christianity and the ebb and flow and all, the, all this stuff. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of frustration sweeping through many churches in our land, including our own. The Southern Baptist Church has obviously been going through some severe testing, the convention as a whole over the past period of time. There's a wrestling about the direction of the convention. Certainly there are reported actions of men that we would, uh, those of us who are conservatives would say are heroes of, 
the Southern Baptist Convention, and really heroes of the faith. Church government issues, who's in control, how do we function? Doctrinal issues, are we standing on the foundational truths of Scripture? Are we allowing the world and the ways of the world and our desire to reach out and try to win to sway us from the foundation of God's Word? There's all kinds of different interesting moments on this. There's seeker-friendly versus other traditional models of the church. What kind of music, you know, choir, praise team, electric guitar with smoke or piano, right? Or what about organ? Anybody, an organite out there? <laughs> Amen. Don't raise it too high, brother. <laughs> all kinds of interesting moments. How do we evangelize our communities beyond that? As well, how do we reach millennials? My goodness, if I've heard that question once, I've heard it a thousand times. I got two of them, and uh, I'm grateful they love the Lord. How are we going to sustain our buildings and ministries over the next generations? That becomes a concern, and I agree. How's the kingdom of God growing? How are we participating in God's movement? How are our eyes being lifted up to see that the harvest is white? And folks, it is white all around us. It really is. The question is, are our eyes being lifted up? Do we trust the Lord to guide us and lead us? So plans are laid, programs created, recreated, right? Numbers, statistics are put together, viewed from all possible angles. There's all kinds of demographic research being done, what needs there are within the community, uh, what, do, what do we need to do in order to meet those needs? How do we attract people back to church and or for the first time in many cases, especially here in Albuquerque? People work on vision, mission, purpose statements being updated, rewritten, written, whatever. I mean, we got all this motion around what's our direction, what's our purpose, what's our goal? How are we going to achieve it? How are we going to accomplish this? And I have had many, many, many discussions on this. It's been remarkable, actually. All of these things have their place, folks. <laughs> I got the elders at one point using my phrase. I remember John Sondager. I, I said baby bathwater so many times in elder meetings. Guys, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And one day, John was sitting in there, and he started talking. He said, we don't want to throw the baby and he looked at me and he goes, you're killing me. What in the world? You know, I'm even using that phrase now, right? But there is truth to that. There's this pendulum swing. There's these moments where we recognize that, yes, of course, we believe in evangelism. And yes, we want to see this place filled to overflowing. I'd love to have three services. I'd love to have a Saturday night, two Sunday morning. Shoot, I'll even go Sunday night, folks. That'd be great. I love to preach. It's not, it's not a burden to me. But the question isn't so much what we want to see happen, is how do we get there? How do we get there? What do we do? And that becomes a real challenge. Because all of a sudden, in the midst of that conversation, we can talk about what God is leading us to do. And so there are certainly logistical 
activities that he calls us to be about. No question. But friend, if it's not undergirded with the sufficiency of Christ, if it's not led by the Lord, if it's not initiated by the Lord, if it's not anointed by the Lord, if it's not being raised up by the Lord, if it's not empowered by the Lord, if it's not according to his grace, if it's not according to his way, if it's not according to him, then all the activity in the world may look good, but it's going to be empty. It's going to be a facade. It's going to be hollow. There's nothing wrong with numbers or viewing demographics. I've done it many, many times. But I think in some ways, and I, my heart in this, there's something much deeper at work. And it's not just happening here at Hoffentown. It, it's, it's a discussion that's taking place throughout our nation. There's no question about that. There's something more than just needing a different seminary president or new trustees or a new focus for the IMB or the North American Mission Board or a next generation pastor, a new senior pastor or other leaders or a new program, a new church planting initiative or another push for evangelism. Something, there's something that seems to be deeper than that. There's something that seems to be more that's needed than just the program or, or the logistics or how are we going to do and we need to be doing. There's something deeper than this. I think there, there's a desperate need, folks, and I would say this in my own life, and I would encourage you to prayerfully consider it for your own, but I believe there's a desperate need for revival I believe there's a desperate need for a fresh view of the Lord and his grace, his adequacy, his sufficiency, and that he is the Lord. We are talking about spiritual things. We are talking about the kingdom of God, and only God can establish the way forward and what to do, when to do it, empowering us in the midst of doing it. I think fundamentally there's a heart issue, a heart issue. I think we've become distracted, even potentially consumed by our problems, and we seem to think that our problems, if solved by our methods, will yield the intended goals that we want, that we deserve, and sometimes we even demand, especially when the goals are biblical. That's the most challenging one. We seem to have left our first love, Christ himself. And we need to be revived in a love for him all over again. His grace, his ways, his, mo his message, the gospel. But I would say most importantly, him, him. We need to fall in love again, maybe afresh with the Lord himself. And then, then, as God begins to do a work in each and every one of our hearts, that God begins to lead us in his ways, with his message, empowered with his glory and the true identity of who he is. To come up with another program again, it's, that just doesn't seem sufficient. To say that we've got to go evangelize, everybody understands that. We know that. The question is, are we willing to do it? The question is, what are, what are our lives look like? How is it that people are looking at us and saying, what's different about you? 
I want to know about this hope that you have. I want to know about this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that you have. I want to know how are you walking through the storms of life with peace, with joy even. And how is it that you're forgiving this individual that treated you in this way? How is that possible? And at that moment, friend, we don't look at ourselves, oh, look at us. No, no, no. We say, praise God, Lord. That's amazing how I'm experiencing you and how you're being revealed through me. And at that point, we get to say, friend, let me tell you something about my Lord who went to the cross so that I could experience his life. And by the way, you can too. You can too. When you think about the the New Testament, who do you identify with? I mean, everybody wants to immediately say the Lord, right? If you were to ask, well, I want to be discipled by, and you leave it blank, boy, oh boy, if all of us don't put the Lord, something's probably wrong. So we know that. We get that. Let's set that, you know, not to set the Lord aside. We don't, you understand what I'm saying. The Lord understands what we're talking about here. If there was an individual within the New Testament that you would look at and say, I want to be mentored by that person, who, who would you pick? Now, that's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? I, I, yeah, Paul. Did you say Paul? Amen. Praise the Lord. I would too. Paul, Paul would probably be somebody I want to sit at the feet at for quite a long time. And then let him go into the village. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, man. I, I think Paul and his knowledge of the Lord and his knowledge of brokenness and what it means to surrender and to walk by the grace of God and his insight into the different aspects of how to walk with the Lord. Ah, boy. I'm so thankful that the Lord used him in the way that he's used him and through the Holy Spirit, how he has penned for us so many of those details. Thank God. I love the Apostle John as well. Don't you? I I mean, to sit down with the Apostle John and just start to talk with the Apostle John about his love for the Lord and and just even that uh, tremendous relationship that the Lord and he had, the one whom Jesus loved, the apostle of love, I look at that and I think, wow. Because I know my own heart and I know there's times where it's not very loving. It's not very loving. And I, I, I'd love to hear what he went through and say, well, John, how did you submit to the Lord in that and experience God's love in you and through you? How did that work? I'd love to hear that. Maybe you have others. Somebody told us Wednesday night, Peter, I said, amen, brother. He's going to teach you not to put your feet in your mouth. And uh, it's a good thing. (laughs) Couple thoughts here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Believers are made adequate through the Spirit and are letters of Christ. Believers are made adequate through the Spirit and are letters of Christ. Let me just real speedily give you background because I've been doing this since January and so there's a lot in here. But first of all, the background of 2 Corinthians is that Paul's writing, it's probably the fourth letter that he's written. We have two of them. 
And his pro- he's writing to these Corinthian believers, and there's been a whole lot of confusion that has taken place within the church. There had been Judaizers that had moved in, and they were attacking Paul. They were attacking his calling. They were twisting his words. And you can see that in 1 Corinthians. There was just all kinds of stuff going on. And Paul was reminding the Corinthian believers of his involvement with them through the gospel and the singularity of purpose in serving him them. There, there was no hidden motives that Paul had in serving the body of Christ, the Corinthian believers. And you can see that in chapter 1, verse 12 of 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially towards you. He says it again in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, purity of motive, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. What Paul's saying is, I have an audience of one. I didn't say the things that I said to manipulate you. I've said the things that I've said because they are from God, and I speak in Christ in the sight of God. There's no hidden motive here. There's no agenda. It is the pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only how to be saved, but how to walk with God. It is the grace of God that Paul lifted up. And what he's saying to them is, I haven't used you. I'm not doing this to manipulate you. People that are saying these things are not doing so from sincerity. Warren Wiersbe says the Judaizers boasted that they carried letters of recommendation from the important people in the Jerusalem church, and they pointed out that Paul had no such credentials. Interesting. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? The word commend means to present or stand in place. The idea is to present themselves in such a way that they were, in effect, proving themselves all over again. Are we beginning to prove ourselves? Do we have to to prove ourselves to you all over again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? In other words, do we need to have some kind of a pedigree to cause you to believe the sincerity of our message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God. See, the Corinthian believers, they knew Paul. They also knew Timothy. They knew Titus. They had some of the the greatest teachers and preachers of the New Testament coming to their church to pour into them. And these men, Paul in particular, had suffered for the gospel. They had helped start the church. They would ministered to the believers there at their own expense and their own time. They did not need to be presented afresh again as if the experiences they had gone through didn't matter. Paul didn't need to send them some commendation, nor did he need to send them a commendation about himself. He didn't need to receive it from them, and he didn't need to send it to them. They had a relationship. They they knew one another, and they knew of Paul's life, and they knew of his sincerity. They knew that he had been called to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. They understood fully the circumstances that had surrounded 
Paul's salvation experience and what he had done before that, how he had gone after the Christians in order to kill them and how God had arrested them on the road to Damascus and they knew the sufferings that he had gone through. And Paul's saying, we, we don't need to have a letter of commendation for you. They knew one another, and unlike those who were creating disturbances within the church, they had relationships based upon past experiences and, and showed their authenticity and purity of motive in serving believers. So as a result of that, Paul describes his relationship with these believers, and he helps these believers understand the difference of law and grace, life versus death, relationship versus Religion. Again, Wearsby says this, no sooner did the gospel of God's grace begin to spread among the Gentiles than a counterfeit gospel appeared, a mixture of law and grace. It was carried by a zealous group of people that we have come to call the Judaizers. And Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians to refute their doctrines, and you'll find him referring to them several times in 2 Corinthians. So two things out of this particular passage that I think have blessed me, ministered to me, and I hope you hear the heartbeat behind it, and they minister to you as well. First of all, God's life manifested, and secondly, God's life given. Life manifested and life given. How does the life of Christ begin to be manifested through our lives? In verse 2, he says, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are our letter. He's saying, I don't need a commendation from the, the supposed higher-ups in Jerusalem in order to send to you so that you believe our ministry to you, which is of godly sincerity. You are our letter. What an amazing moment. Written in our hearts, known and read by all men. There's a, a life connection here. This is about the lives of those who he has poured into regarding the gospel of God's grace. And he makes it clear, all men read this letter of your life. Whether it's their lives, their activities, they are a letter written in the apostles' hearts that have been read and examined or viewed by all men. See, we're not islands to ourselves. Rather, our lives are a living testimony concerning the power of God in and through us. The gospel is not simply a message of religion, it's a, it's a message of life and the transforming ability of God's grace in and through us. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's by his grace, but then we continue to walk by his grace because he's the one that grows us, he's the one that transforms us, he's the one that's conforming us to his very image. Paul's message was a life giving message. And his message is the gospel of grace and the saving ability of God himself. The Grace New Testament commentary puts it this way. In other words, the believers at Corinth are Paul's letter of commendation. Paul sees his ministry among them and the fruit that they produce as all the recommendation among them that they need. Look at what God's done in your life. Look how he's transformed you. Hey, Joe, you remember what you used to be like? You remember how you used to worship those pagan idols over there? Now look at your life. You can't take credit for that, brother. It's God in you that did this. And that is the letter that everybody reads because that reflects the transforming power of God's grace in somebody. In verse 3, he says, being manifested, brought to light, 
revealed that you are a letter of who? Of Christ, cared for by us. I love that word cared. It literally means to be served. It's actually the word uh, diakonos, the, uh, deacon. It has the idea of serving you, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. A letter of Christ served for by us. And he immediately goes in and he says, written not with ink. He takes it from the physical. You want a letter of commendation from somebody who's supposedly important in order to show that these false apostles are really true apostles and they've come against my apostleship in spite of the fact that I've come to you with godly sincerity to preach Christ to you and you have seen God change your life and he's changing your life and now you're confused by this. Wait a minute. You are the letter of Christ because of what God is able to do in and through you, how he's able to change you, how he's able to transform you. It's not a letter written with ink. It's a letter written by the spirit of the living God. And it's not a letter that the spirit of God is writing on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Wow. In other words, it's what the Spirit of God is doing within you. It's how the Spirit of God is writing this beautiful poetry and journey and story about your life as you yield to him and you submit to him and surrender to him and walk by faith in him. You are that letter. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. That word confidence is faith. That that confidence, that persuasion that we have. How? Through Christ toward God. God's ability to accomplish this. The Spirit is the one writing it. Christ himself is the one that's saved and is saving. And it's all to the Father's glory. Because it's a, a letter of God's power and strength within somebody's heart to change and transform so that all men will begin to read who God is, what God can do, because our hope is in him. Well, it's not only life manifested, but it's life given. And in verse five, boy, I tell you what, this has gone through my mind so many times. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but what? Our adequacy is from who? God. Our adequacy is from who? Let me hear you say it. (laughs) It's from God. It's not from ourselves, folks. It's from God. The word adequate means sufficient, competent, worthy, large enough. No, no, no. Our adequacy, our sufficiency, our competency... It's not from ourselves. It is from God. And he says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider, to calculate, to number anything as coming from ourselves. In other words, we can't reckon anything that happens from the Holy Spirit within us as he writes in our hearts through the power of Christ and his transforming ability to the glory of God. There is nothing that we can take into consideration as being from ourselves, being from our competency. Nothing, nothing. But rather, our adequacy 
is from God. Our competency, our sufficiency, our worthiness, our ability is from God. What do we think we're competent to do? That's a challenging question, isn't it? When we're talking about spiritual things, what do do we actually think we're competent to do? I think one of the greatest challenges in our churches today is that we want everything that Jesus Christ offers, we just don't want him. We want his joy, we want his peace, we want all the, the good stuff that he offers. But I, I, boy, I've been convicted of this in my own life. I wonder if we want him. Because see, if we want him, then we gotta deal with our heart. If we want him, then we gotta be revived which means we've got to agree that we've declined. And if we have to agree that we've declined, then suddenly our glory versus his glory comes into play. (laughs) And that's tough. Anybody else have a trouble with that? I do. Man, I, I love the accolades. I don't like having to admit that I've declined. I don't even like admitting that it's the Lord, much less anybody else. How are we recognizing our need of the Lord? How is it that we need revival in the sense that we need to be refreshed by God himself as to the main thing, which is the heart of the issue, which is our love of the Lord and his love not only for us, but also through us. Verse 6, he says, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not the law, but rather grace and God's love. Not in and of our own strength, not our performance, but rather about him and what he's able to do and how he's able to change and how he's able to conform us to his image and he begins to be revealed in and through us so that everybody begins to read the letter being written in our lives by the Holy Spirit on human hearts and revealed in such a way that it doesn't give honor and glory to ourselves, it gives honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. He is the one who's made us adequate. Why? Because he's come to live within us as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Romans 6.14 says, sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Every time you hear law, you think performance. Every time you hear grace, you think the empowering ability of God. I'm not under law anymore, I'm not under performance. I'm under the power and the ability of God's grace. What a beautiful truth. It doesn't mean that I go live whatever way I want because I've already been forgiven, so it doesn't matter. No, no, no. The love of Christ constrains me. God loves me so much. Why would I want to continue to participate in these things? I want to participate with God in these things because God gave his life for me. He loves me, and he wants to transform me. I love how Warren Wiersbe sums this up. He says their major emphasis, the Judaizers, was that salvation was by faith in Christ, now hear this, plus the keeping of the law. 
Did you catch that? Plus the keeping of the law. They also taught that the believer is perfected in his faith by obeying the law of Moses. Their gospel of legalism was very popular since human nature enjoys achieving religious goals instead of simply trusting Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to work. It's much easier to measure religion than true righteousness. Oh, boy, folks, I will know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified, the sufficiency of the Lord. I fear for you lest Satan has deceived you from the simplicity which is in Christ Jesus. We do not nullify the grace of God. For if we could have achieved the righteousness of God through the law, then Christ died, what? Needlessly. There was no reason for him to go to the cross. But he went to the cross so that we could experience his life. He went to the cross to give us hope. He went to the cross so that we would have an assurance. We would have absolute hope in who he is and what he's done and his word and his promise to us. And as a result, we know that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And we have the opportunity to walk with him in his love and experience his love, which is what Galatians 5 talks about. The fruit of the spirit is what? It's love. And all the different characteristics of it. Why? Because it's the life of Christ being made manifest in us, but also through us. How are we walking with the Lord? How do we consider ourselves to be adequate? Our adequacy is in Christ. Because he's the one that makes us adequate. What is the letter that the Holy Spirit is writing on our hearts for all to view? That's the question. How are we yielding to the Lord and experiencing his life in and through us so that the letter that's being read is not about us, but it's about God's grace and his transforming power in us and then through us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Bow your eyes, bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. What's God doing in your life this morning? What's the letter of your life look like? What's the letter of your life look like? How's God working in you and through you to reveal his love, his goodness, his kindness, his peace, his patience, his faithfulness? How's the Lord working in your heart, in your mind? How's he being revealed through your activity? Take a moment, just reflect on that. What does the letter of your life look like? Are you experiencing the Lord? Is your hope in the Lord? Is your trust in the Lord? Can we say emphatically and unequivocally, it is well with my soul. Folks, we know that apart from the grace of God, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, we can do not one thing. John 15 makes that so clear, the Lord speaking to his disciples about abiding in him, makes that unequivocal statement. 
that is so challenging. Apart from me, you can do not one thing, nothing, not one thing. How are we walking with the Lord in such a way that we just love Jesus? We just love Jesus. And we trust Jesus. We trust our shepherd. We trust his heart. We trust his way, his path, because we're with him. And so it doesn't matter where he sends us, we know that he'll be with us. He's leading us, guiding us. As we yield to him and walk with him and follow him, we get the great privilege of experiencing what he can do, how the Holy Spirit begins to write on our hearts this journey and this amazing transformation that takes place within our lives when we yield to him and say yes to him, when we learn to die to ourselves and our thinking and our understanding, when we do trust in the Lord with all our heart, we don't lean on our own understandings. In all our ways, we do acknowledge him and he will set our path straight. What a beautiful truth. How are you trusting the Lord? What's the letter of your life look like this morning? Would you stand with me just for a moment? Folks, I want you to know that I love you. Every one of you, I love everyone here. There's not anybody here that I don't love because of the love of Christ. I look at my own life and I'm amazed that God loves me. And what a privilege it is to know the Lord and be known by him and to walk with him. And I thank God for that. Let's keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the shepherd. He's good, he's good all the time. Do we have issues? Do we have problems? Yes, yes, we do. But our adequacy is not out of ourselves. Our adequacy is from the Lord. So as a church body, let's make sure we go to the, to the Lord to seek his heart on these things. And, and let's start with our own lives. Let's start with our own hearts. And let's pray for revival, a fresh encounter with God. Father, I love you. I thank you for this church body. I thank you so much for Hoffman Town. I thank you for the history of this church. Amazing. I think of Dr. Roy Fish coming here and so many others. My father-in-law, I'm so grateful. You know, there's been men of God who've shepherded this flock. I thank you for the body of believers here. I thank you so much for their desire to walk with you. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be distracted but Lord, we keep our eyes on you. Lord, give us the strength and the, and the power to do that. Renew our minds. Teach us, grow us. May the letter of our lives, individually and then blended corporately, be an expression of your grace, your love, of you. And Lord, may we never, may we never 
leave our first love, which is you. If we have, Lord, I pray that you would make that very clear to us, that we would repent of it and come back to you and just be reminded that you are our first love. It's all about you. Thank you, Jesus, for your patience. Thank you for your grace, for your kindness, for your love. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We praise you because of who you are. Thank you that our adequacy is not from ourselves, but it's from you. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Christ.